You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Phishing is old, but it continues to be heavily used. And we continue to see folks adapting to get around some of the newer protections that uh, continue to be put in place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hey, Joe. Hi, Dave. We got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Michael Price. He is CTO at ZeroFox. We're talking about trends in phishing. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, Joe, before we jump into our stories here, we have a couple of bits of follow-up. I will read the first one here. This is from a listener named Michelle, Mm -hmm. who writes in and says, Hi, guys. I've been warning my family about a situation with my aunt and her internet love, and love is in quotes, for over six months. She met him playing words with friends, and they began chatting daily. I told my family about all of the hallmark red flags and warning signs that she was at very least being catfished, But because my aunt is lonely, they do not want to burst her bubble or create conflict. Mm. Recently, I was informed that this man zelled her $500 and asked her to purchase an iTunes gift card for his son. I told her that is a scam and she may be unknowingly participating in illegal financial activity or money laundering. Mm -hmm. I don't know what her culpability would be, but I want to protect her and stop her from funding organized crime and likely human trafficking. The problem I am encountering is that my family sees my concerns as paranoia, and their ignorance to the realities of fraud and security make them think I'm crazy. Hmm. No one will take me seriously, and I'm very worried that my aunt may lose a lot of money because I know how much her feelings are controlling her behavior. How can I approach them in a way where they will take me seriously and handle my aunt in a delicate manner to avoid her feeling shame and embarrassment? I'm worried that instead of seeing reality, she will double down on her belief that he is real and continue to be victimized. Thank you, and keep up the outstanding work you all do. This is something Mallory Safaste was talking about. A very similar, uh, you know, words with friends scam. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, uh, my heart goes out to Michelle having to deal with this. Um, You know, I'm hesitant to give out specific personal advice here on the show, but I think... um, In general, there are a few things that come to mind here. First of all, there's a quote from uh, Carl Sagan, you know, the great uh, scientist and and skeptical thinkers. He said, uh, one of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never give it back. Um, I think there's something to that, and I think that's probably what's going on here. I mean, at at the base uh, level of this, Joe, what do you suppose is going on here? Uh, You mean what's going on with the the, tactically? Yeah. So um, what's, uh, yeah, this is a scammer. Yeah. He he is using this woman right now for money laundering. Right. That's exactly what's happening. So if you want to have... Uh, your family member listening to this po- family members listening to this podcast. I don't think that you're paranoid or overreacting at all. No, uh, there are some serious things that are going to happen here. What's 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 likely to be next is that this guy is going to ask your aunt for money if he hasn't done that already. Right, and your aunt's going to send him that money. Now we already know she has a Zelle account, right? Mm-hmm. 
So uh, we've had story after story where uh, people have tried to claw back money via Zelle, and Zelle's like, no, you transferred it. That's that's you giving someone else money. Right. Um, I you know, The first thing that occurred to me was uh, how culpable would she be if this is money laundering? Uh, and, you know, I... I immediately thought about the fact that Zelle now and all these payment trans- transaction uh, organizations like Venmo and everything have to provide 1099s to people if they've received more than $600 from mm. commercial transactions. Mm-hmm. I don't know if these are classified as commercial transactions or not. Yeah. Um, the, the IRS has said, uh, we're not talking about you paying back your friends for splitting a tab. Right, That's right. not what we're, <laughs> what we're after. We're after people who are dodging taxes on on business transactions. Yeah. So this probably won't result in a 1099 being issued. Right. Uh, probably. Um, but, you know, it depends on how much money she's helping these guys launder. Uh, yeah. And I suspect also that she wouldn't, th- that they wouldn't come after her for the crime because I think it's clear here that she is a, uh, a- an ignorant victim, yes. to, to use an indelicate term. Right. Um, so ignorance and she, meaning and, only not knowing, right? And and right. she is she is a victim herself. She is indeed. Um, this person is taking advantage of her kindness, is taking advantage of her loneliness. Um, I'm sure that your aunt is a wonderful woman who has a lot of love to give, yep. and this person is making her feel like someone is interested in her and wants a relationship, uh, even if it's just companionship. And yep. that's a powerful, powerful force. It is. So, um, I mean, I agree with you, Joe, that uh, this is certainly money laundering yeah. as it is right now. I suspect it's also grooming yep. in that this person is starting the relation, starting the financial relationship in one direction, which is sending her money, right, asking her to do something with it with the iTunes gift card. So sending her money, getting it all back in the gift card, so not costing the scammer anything. Right. But establishing a pattern, normalizing a pattern of exchanging funds. Right. And I think you're right on. I think if it hasn't already happened, that ask is going to come soon. Yeah. Of, of And it'll be disguised as, oh, I need money to pay a medical bill or, right. oh, I need money to travel. And, My son's oh, in a, been in a terrible accident. Right. Right. Something oh, like I want to come see you. I need to buy plane tickets or right. something. All of these th- things that over the years we've been doing this, yeah. we describe. There, there's there's no question in my mind that your aunt is, is being victimized. Is being victimized. Yep, absolutely. yep, absolutely. I agree 100%. And and she, there is no shame in that. Nope. Uh, she is not stupid. No, she, she is not. She did not do anything wrong. No. Um, so... The person she's talking to is an evil person. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, that I mean, I don't know much more to tell you than that, Michelle. Your aunt is lucky to have you to be looking out for her. Um, and I hope that this all ends in, in a good place and you can, you know, cut it off before it goes any farther. And if you do let your family listen to this podcast, Michelle's right. <laughs> and she's not paranoid. <laughs> no, no, she's not paranoid. Um, and uh, And hopefully she prevents... You know, any more or, or serious suffering from happen because as, as we've talked about over and over again, there are people who have lost their life savings. Yes, they have. These sorts of things. And this is exactly how it starts. Yep. Exactly how it starts. All right. What else do we have, uh, Joe? What uh, We got another bit of follow-up here? We do. We have a, a question from Mark who says, Dave and Joe, I received this email from Walmart wanting me to review some products I recently purchased. Hmm. Right, and he sends along a, an email that's like, "How do you like this product?" Yeah, you know, so, uh, write a review about the product. Okay, uh, seems normal, right? Well, I used the self checkout, paid with my Visa card. Self checkout doesn't ask for a password or a username. Uh, how did they know what my email address is? Mm. Facial recognition? Did the did Visa give it up or uh, whatever? He says it's disturbing, and I agree. Yeah, it is disturbing. The first question I have is, did you enter a phone number or is there some kind? Of, I'm not. I don't shop at Walmart enough to know if there's an affinity program right. that you can enter where you provide an email. Right. Um, and but if, I would guess, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, ahead. Joe, but I, I would guess that uh, if Mark is using that same Visa card at the grocery store where he does put in his phone number right. for the affinity program, then that's being cross-referenced. Sure. Just, it's that simple. Yeah, that that, that is, um, 
Yeah, that's probably it. And they're probably not cross-referencing the entire credit card. No. They're looking at, uh, you know, maybe just little bits of it, little tokens of it. And it uh, is Visa who's giving it up, by the way. The yeah, Visa you, totally you sells you out. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> the credit card companies give out your information. Hey, they I, sell hey we it. can monetize all this data. Yeah. 20% interest isn't enough. We need to sell their information too. Right. Yeah, that, so that that is the answer. It is the right. Visa card that is the thing that is... Uh, ratting you out when it comes to your email address. Yeah, I agree, though. It is creepy. Yeah. It is creepy. You know, if I if I got this, I'd be like, well, I guess I'm not shopping at Walmart anymore. At least not with a credit card. <laughs> That's right. That's <sighs> right. Yeah, cash, Joe. You got to pay cash. Now, here's the next step, Dave. What if you do pay cash and then you get an email? Oh. Now I'm worried. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this, this using a credit card and, and maybe an affinity program, mm-hmm. this doesn't concern me as much because I know that these data brokers have all kinds of profiles out there for yeah. us, right? Um, Time but, to put an extra layer of tinfoil inside of your baseball cap, Joe. Yep. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> right? To go with the one on the outside, Dave. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You gotta go walking through Walmart looking like a, the Michelin man right. wrapped in <laughs> wrapped in tinfoil. Wrapped in tinfoil. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that won't draw any attention. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, uh, everyone, for writing in. We do appreciate you sending us these messages. Of course, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, let's jump into some stories here. Why don't you kick things off for us? Dave, before we begin, I want to warn our listeners that my story goes to a gross and dark place. Okay. So it's uh, it's not one of the happy, feel-good stories. Yeah. It's Remember when we started this show and I always had the really terrible ones <laughs> that started up? Right. Uh, this, is, this is one of those. Okay. Um, so I'm going back to this. But this is uh, coming out of the Wall Street Journal. There are two reporters named Jeff Horowitz and Catherine Blunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've been writing a number of articles about social media and partic- in particular Meta. Okay. Uh, and uh, late last month, they had two of these articles that came out. One of them is just by Jeff Horowitz, and it talks about all these states' attorneys general that are suing Meta. Yeah, including um, our own. And they had, right, including our own. Yeah. And they had an internal 2020 Meta presentation that showed. The companies sought to engineer products to capitalize on this market of youth mm. and uh, exploit the psychology of youth and particularly teens that are, quote, predisposed to peer pressure, impulse, and, well, I'm, I'm not quoting anymore, but they're predisposed to impulse and peer pressure mm-hmm. and potentially harmful risky behavior hmm. is what the finding shows. Meta also uh, condoned the uses of, fa- uses of Facebook by people who were under the age of 13. Right. Now, do you remember when uh, your kids were under 13 and they had Facebook accounts? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mark Zuckerberg and all these people didn't care about that. No. They were they were fine with it. Yeah. Um, apparently. And that's what these court, fi- these court filings are saying. Right. Allegedly. Um, according to the report in December of 2017, Instagram, an Instagram employee indicated that Meta had a method to ascertain whether or not these users were younger than 13, hmm. but advised you probably don't want to do that. This is a Pandora's box. <laughs> mm-hmm. A Pandora's box that only lets good things out. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. So, um, I hope that this suit is, is successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th- and, and this is talking about the, just the absolute damage that's happening to teenage psyche, uh, the teenage psyche out there mm-hmm. from this company. Now, the next one is not nearly as benign. This one is the gross one. Okay. And this is by both uh, Jeff Horowitz and Catherine Blunt. And this story focuses on Instagram Reels. Are you familiar with Instagram? Are you on the gram, Dave? <sighs> no. No. <laughs> I have an Instagram account only because I have a Facebook account. Okay. I think I posted some pictures of pickled peppers once. Okay. Um, may have been a peck of pickled peppers. I'm going to stop. <laughs> uh, but I, other than that, I haven't, I mean, every now and then somebody says, hey, here's an Instagram reel. Check it out. And I go look at it and I'm like, aha, that's funny. That's great. Mm-hmm. They have to log in every single time. Okay. Um, but there's this feature called reels, which they built to compete with TikTok. Okay. Which... So short little videos. Right. I don't have an account with TikTok. Okay. Um, this feature, if you're a regular Instagram user, Reels, is designed to show you videos that you'd be interested in. Okay. Right? Right. Which sounds great. I might be interested in this. Sure. This but so it works, YouTube does the same thing. It works just fine if your interests are 
purient interests, puri, I can't, I can never say this word. Purient? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> interest in kids. Right. Which is the gross part. Okay. So the Wall Street Journal set up a bunch of accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they went into Instagram and opened up accounts and then they just started following young gymnasts, cheerleaders, and other young influencers on the platform. And they got, quote, jarring doses of salacious content to those accounts. Okay, go on. Reels. Explain to me what that means. Um, they had, well, I, I don't want So in other words, yeah. I, I follow a young gymnast. You follow, well, they follow young almost exclusively young gymnasts, young cheerleaders, young... So we're talking teenage... Teenage... Teenage people. Someone between the age of like 13 and 18. So they're still kids. Yep. And they're doing kid things like gymnastics and cheerleading. Yep. Okay. And I follow those and the algorithm gives me what? Dave, if listeners want to want to look at the article, they we'll put a link to the article in the show notes. But suffice it to say, it's bad stuff. Okay. Right. Uh, I don't know that it rises to the level of criminality. Right. But it's not what you would want to be looking at. So it's saying, basically, we've noticed that you are an adult who has uh, an unhealthy interest in young children. Well, here's more young children that you can have an unhealthy (laughs) interest in. I don't think think the algorithm is saying that. The algorithm (laughs) says, we know what you're interested in, here's more of it. Okay. And if that interest happens to be an unhealthy interest in in young children, you get more young children. Right. And adult content mixed in with it as well. Oh, okay. Right. And alongside of it, there are ads as well. So this is all being funded by the advertising. Ugh, right, okay. Which all is right. which is uh, very interesting. Now, now, there's a Canadian organization called the Canadian Center for Child Protection. This is uh, you know, obviously a child protection group out of Canada. Yeah. And they ran a similar experiment and found the exact same results. They got... Oh. So this has been repeated. Uh-huh. Right? Meta, when they talked to the journal... They said, uh, the journal tests produce a manufactured experience that doesn't represent what billions of users see. Of course not, right? <laughs> that's not what they were testing <laughs> at all. <laughs> that's, right. that's not at all what they were testing. What they were testing was, if I go on here and I, I start following a bunch of kids, what kind of stuff do I get? You get more kids yeah. and kids doing things that kids shouldn't be doing on social media, Okay. right? The company declined to comment on why the algorithms uh, compiled streams like these uh, of sexual, of uh, uh, separate videos showing children, then sex advertisements. Uh, but the spokesman said that in October, it introduced a brand, a new brand safety tool to give advertisers more control over the content that appear, that their ads appear next to. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are a couple of companies that have said, now nah, we're done. Uh, mm. Match has said, we're not doing this. Okay. Uh, they've pulled all of their advertising from Real, I think even from all of Meta. Oh. Uh, so yeah, we uh, we have this is a quote from Justine Sacco yeah. from from uh, Match. She says we have no desire to pay Meta to market our brands to predators that place our ads or place our ads anywhere near this kind of content. Hmm. Uh, Robbie McKay, who is a spokesman for Bumble, said uh, we would never intentionally advertise adjacent to inappropriate content. And he also said that the company has suspended its advertising across all of Meta's platforms. Okay, so good. Thank you, Match and Bumble, for uh, for doing this. Here's the thing. The journal informed Meta of this. This is like a, a vulnerability disclosure. Right. right. They did. They informed Meta of this in August. And in the months since then, tests by both the journal and this other Canadian, uh, this Canadian Child Protection show, Center showed the platform is still doing this. And the Canadian organization said it was doing this as late as the middle of November of this year. Hmm. So it's still going on. So if... Somebody signs up for a fake account, um, then you know, or not a fake account, a new Instagram account, and starts following these things. They'll still get start getting served this thing, right? Um, this this content, it's it's really really disturbing. I actually have a a question for the Wall Street Journal and for the the Canadian organization, and that is, what are you doing about the people who are investigating this? Now, don't what do you mean? don't forget about that. That's tough. Investigating this is tough. Oh, sure. I mean, I've I've known a couple of people in my life who have had um, one, a guy I used to work with who was uh, doing forensic analysis. This was years and years ago. Yeah. Uh, we were both, had a night job and mm. uh, you could tell when he had a bad day. Mm. His mood was completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, not good for you. So uh, I've also talked to other people about the 
law enforcement investigations, investigators that do this, they have to go to therapy, I think every, every year or six months or something like that. Mm. Man, it's mandated by the organization. They have to do that. Let um, me let me ask just a point of clarification here because one sure. thing you you mentioned and and you sort of did it in passing is you said this is kids doing things they shouldn't be doing on social media. Yeah. Um if if these platforms are open to teenage kids. So if right. at 13 you're in the clear to be on this platform. Right. If you are let's just make up a number. You're a 15-year-old kid and you're into cheerleading. Uh why not be posting pictures of your cheerleading practice. Yeah, that's not the kind of friends. videos they're talking about. Um, they're talking the, about. Um, so well, I guess what these, I'm wondering. So what I'm wondering, kids, you, uh, I can tell you what some of the videos. So they're are talking the kids about are. trying to be titillating? Yes. Okay. Right. And they're allowing that. Yep. They're not taking that down. Well, Facebook says, or Meta says, they take down like something like four million or four billion. Uh, it's in the article. Uh, a large number of these. Uh, videos every month they take down. I see. But they're not taking down all of them. Right. And and my point to counter what, what the Meta spokesperson said is, you know, it, this is not the experience of uh, the vast majority of people who use, use Instagram. Well, of course it's not. Mm-hmm. Of course it's not. When I use Instagram, I see a funny meme or a funny reel. I laugh at it and I log out. Right. Right, <laughs> right. right. And that shows you an ad for the local Golden Corral, right? <laughs> <laughs> Off you go. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> buffet. <laughs> right. But it was all you could eat. <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah. So people who use the gram for things like uh, like uh, the gram, I said it like that's... Uh, You're so hip, Joe. <laughs> right. People use Instagram for things like this. Like if they are into interior decorating, they're just going to see interior decorating stuff. Right, right. If they're into um, into hairstyles, you're just going to see hairstyle stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're into snowboarding, they're going to see snowboarding stuff. Problem is, if you're into seeing uh, kids, Under, things, like, kids, yeah, 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 you should. Then you're going to see more of that too. The algorithm doesn't distinguish because the algorithm doesn't care. It's just showing people what they want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, Joe. That's disturbing. It, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. So what's the answer here? I mean, uh, obviously, uh, given that Meta is at, if we're being uh, generous, we're saying they're dragging their feet on this or that it's just taking a long time to do, Yeah. which personally I doubt. But uh, if we're not being generous and we're saying that they're turning a blind eye to it, and we don't know, um, is this a matter of parents monitoring what their kids are doing yeah, you're online, not going to be able to, or I'll tell you, that doesn't seem realistic to me. I'll tell you, were I the only person in charge of Meta, Yeah. tomorrow I would institute a new policy okay. that no one under the age of 18 can have an account on this platform. Mm. And I would find the engineer who said, we can tell how old these people are and say, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And implement it. Um, the problem with that though, Dave, is that that is the largest market that these social media companies are going after. I see. Because these people have money that is disposable. All their money is disposable, right? The, the right, money, right, the money right. of a 15-year-old can be spent on whatever that 15-year-old wants without consequence. Well, and if you're a brand, that's right. when you want to hit somebody to try to get lifelong affinity for your brand. That's right. You know, if I can get you to be a, a Pepsi drinker when you're 15, and when your mind is malleable, right. right? chances are you're going to be a Pepsi drinker for life. My wife so. will not drink Coca-Cola. <laughs> Vodka. Vodka's what she drinks. <laughs> right. no. She likes Pepsi. And I grew up in a Coke house, so I don't like Pepsi. I'll tell you, my my brother, my younger brother went off to college, went off to a big, you know, a big state university. And that uh university was all they poured on campus was Pepsi. Really? And he went to college as a Coke drinker and came out a Pepsi drinker. They brainwashed him. Yeah. Typical. So big I mean, college. It, it works. It works. Yeah, it works. All right. Well, we will have a link to those stories in the show notes. Uh, my story this week is uh, not so dark. Good. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Dave. A little more, uh, I don't know, a little more data-driven, I guess. Um, this is uh, some research from folks at Arcos Labs, which is a security company. Um, they recently put out a, a report that was tracking the abuse of uh, online bots, right? So, 
you know, automated machines out there that do things online. Um, But one of the things that they touched on, there was a whole section in this report that was about generative AI, which is the chat GPTs of the world. Right. Um, And it it reinforces some of the things we've been saying here. Um, They they said there's been a big uptick in the past uh, six months or so of generative AI being used for content generation. I'll quote from the research here. It says, the immediate use has been to create pristine phishing emails, meaning the emails are perfectly worded Mm -hmm. without the telltale grammar mistakes that prior to generative AI were a major phishing telltale. Right. As 2023 closes, we fully expect to see a major increase in romance scams Mm. because bad actors are using generative AI to craft perfectly worded responses on dating apps and sites. That was kind of new to me. That is just the next step in this process. Right, right. right. They're gonna, if you can use generative AI to do anything, um, you can, you can, well, geez, I just said you can, that's what I should say. You can use generative AI to do anything. <laughs> you don't need to just write an email for you. You can have it respond to chats, right? right. You can just copy and paste and, and yeah. say, so what, they, if say you're, what you want. If you're a bad guy sitting right. on the other end of uh, some dating app and someone you get a response from someone, you can load that response into the generative AI and say, make me a response to this as if I'm a such and such and so-and-so and such and such. Right. And it'll spit out something that is, as this art, to use the word from this article, pristine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all these guardrails that are being put on these AIs, like uh, uh, ChatGPT and the whatever the Bing one is, um, the Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. And then Google has their own as well. Yeah. Uh, although, isn't now, after the fiasco of the last couple of weeks, now ChatGPT essentially is Microsoft now? I mean... No, no. It's, it's no, still... You know, no. Micro, I, my understanding is Microsoft has a non-voting seat on the board mm. is uh, where they stand right now. Yes, but, and they uh, own 49% of the company, right? Something like that. Yeah. It's complicated and messy and yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you how... Well, I won't tell you how I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple other interesting things from this report. Um, there's been a huge increase that they've been tracking. It's a 202% increase in bots attempting to take over consumer financial accounts. Really? And a 164% increase in bots attempting to establish fake new bank accounts. So on the, the takeover thing, multi-factor authentication, well, multi-factor authentication, absolutely. multi-factor authentication. Use multi-factor authentication on all your bank accounts and your email accounts. Right. Don't forget your email is also the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, they say that online fake accounts are most likely the preferred methods to launder illicit proceeds gained from real-world crimes like mm-hmm. human trafficking, drug dealing, or weapon sales. Right. Uh, and then again, they said a large number of bots targeted dating sites in 2023 uh, in order to conduct romance scams. They said in the first half of 2023, 21% of traffic going to dating sites was bad bot traffic. Think about that. One in five. Huh. If you, if you, and I don't know how, how that corresponds to any, you know, the actual uh, experience on a dating site, but 21% right. of traffic comes is, from bots. Comes from bots. Wow. Right. So, Roll the dice, <laughs> right? There's a one out of five times you're talking to a bot. Yeah, jeez, yeah. right? It remind, remember that thing with the Simpsons where they had the 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 one nine hundred number for men to call in to talk to a real woman, and and it was it was like every male character on the <laughs> right? Simpsons was calling in. It was, it was Apu, and you know, it just Mo was Mo on was there. The, yeah, they're all they're all wondering where. I, I I think of that when I think of the you know eventually it's just going to be bots talking to bots, right? You know, yeah. But, uh, it's awful. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was going actually with this. Uh, yeah. These guardrails are on these these ones you pay for, the ones that uh, large companies run. Mm-hmm. But there's a uh, a software product out there called uh, LM Studio, mm. which is just a large language model studio. Now, you need a lot of RAM to run a good language model. Yeah. Uh, but there are uncensored, unguardrailed models out there for you to download and experiment with. Mm. Um, and I've done this on my computer. I, I don't have enough RAM to run any of the more complex ones. Right. But they're fun to play with. They're not as good as ChatGPT is. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're older models and or they're, I don't know, they're just not as interactive. Sure. Um, Wouldn't expect them to be. Right. But they, they'll probably still do a good job with this. Yeah, and it's only going in one direction. Right. Right. Better. I mean, yeah, they're going to be optimized and and yeah, I mean, so... 
the take home here is again, like we said, multi-factor authentication, particularly for your email address and your financial accounts. Um, but we, you, you can no longer tell from phishing emails. Bad grammar is no longer no longer. A, or, or I guess I should away. flip that around and say, good grammar is no longer a sign that an email is legit. Right. Because it's so easy to do. Yep. Very easy. Yeah. There's a lot more in this report, so we will have a link to that. Uh, some really interesting stuff there. Uh, that is what I have for us this week. Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Constantine, uh, who sent us along a message that has both a message and an attachment. Okay. Uh, so the message is pretty good itself. Okay. Why don't you read the message first? It says, how's everything going? We're happy to say that the edition went off without a hitch. The PDF contains all of the information you need. Given this, consider the situation carefully and determine if any other difficulties develop we know your account number is MCBBJPOTNCHHY since we can see it. Do not hesitate to ask for help. Key to activate is, and there's a long number I'm not going to read. Right, yeah. <laughs> the, and it's probably, what, 20 characters? Something like yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. All right. The attachment reads, oh, it's from McAfee, the antivirus people. No, it isn't. <laughs> Purchase invoice. <laughs> it says, we're pleased to inform you that your 15-day free trial has expired. Why would they be pleased to tell you that? <laughs> right. I guess it's good news for them. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, Read please, on, Dave. You'll yeah. see why they're pleased. Your subscription has been auto-renewed. Okay. To continue to subscribe, a charge of $599.99 toward McAfee Security Protection has been auto-debited from your bank account. And, and there's the reason they're pleased to tell there you. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've seen this one. They've right. seen this exact one before. And what's going on here, Joe? Oh, this is a... Um, this this. What we haven't seen is the one with the email, with the content of the email before. Right. So that's kind of new. Yeah. So that's why I picked this one today. Okay. Um, but this is just a uh, a payment scam. This has all the social engineering hallmarks, right? Right. The, you have the pretext, you know, which is, hey, we're from McAfee and we're going to charge your account this much money. Yep. Um, your your We've trial's already up. charged you. We've this already money. charged you. So right. you're you're in the hole, buddy. Right. So <laughs> if you have any questions, give us a call at this phone number. Right. 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 And um, by the way, your activation key here that's listed says confidential next to it. Yeah. Uh, is not the same as the activation key that was up above. Hmm. So. So I, do you suppose that they've put this number, like the number that they put in here, do you think that could be something that they got from one of the publicly available data breaches, for example? Like, would this align to something that actually exists in my life if I received this? I uh, wonder. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. I mean, you don't remember any of your license keys or anything, right? No. You keep those in the next to the CDs or in a file somewhere. Right. Right. Or in your email. You don't remember them. (laughs) Yeah. Look how old Joe is. Joe, I keep them next to my eight-inch floppy disks, Joe. (laughs) Those were fun to put in my 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 drawer full of punch cards. That's where they are, Joe. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) My paper tape. Yeah. Um, So so what happens here is there's a a thing at the bottom that says call for questions. They've got an artificial time horizon in here that's supposed to prompt you for immediate action. Yeah. Uh, You're supposed to be scared that you're about to lose $600 out of your bank account. Right. And you call the number, and when you call the number, that's when the scam begins. Yeah. Uh, They're going to ask you for access to your computer. They're going to... they're going to ask ask you to uh, to go to your bank account, and then they're going to steal all your money right. out of the bank account. Right. Uh, or they're going to perform some kind of other scam. There's a, a ton of different scams the way this works. It could go a hundred different ways. But once you call that number, uh, that's when it starts going sideways. Yeah, it's over. Yep. Might as well just you know. Yeah. <laughs> Give up. <laughs> well, once you start installing software, then it's over. Right. Uh, right. The the other way it's over is you just delete the email and forget about it. There you go. I recommend that path. Yes, me too. That (laughs) is the official Joe Kerrigan recommendation. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, our thanks to Constantine for sending that in. We do appreciate it. And once again, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you would like us to consider for our catch of the day, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com.
Back to the concept of integrations. Nobefor's security coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. All right, Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Michael Price. He is the chief technology officer at ZeroFox. And we are talking about some of the trends that he and his colleagues there are tracking when it comes to phishing. Here's my conversation with Michael Price. So, you know, to be honest with you, the phishing challenge has been around for uh, many, many years at this point, you know, perhaps more than 10 to 15 years. Um, despite all of the great work that has been done on the part of different organizations and, um, you know, security product vendors and security teams around the world. It continues to be an issue. Our team uh, has great insight into this problem because we help our customers to defend against this. And so we see a lot. We have a lot of data, you know, a unique view on what's going on there. Uh, trends in 2023 continue to demonstrate that phishing is uh, one of the key ways in which uh, the bad guys, so to speak, are targeting their victims. We continue to see an increase in, in this regard. And um, so we're seeing, you know, some of the old tactics being used, some modification of how those tactics are being used. We continue to see email uh, being used as a primary vector, but a little bit of a shift in how email is being used and maturation in terms of how folks that are using phishing are trying to work around some of the newer security measures that are available, such as multi-factor. So phishing is old, but it continues to be heavily used. And we continue to see folks adapting to get around some of the newer protections that uh, continue to be put in place. Can we dig into some of the specifics here? I mean, what, what are some of the innovations or, or evolutions that you all are tracking? Sort of in the beginning, uh, the way that a phishing attack would very often take place is that uh, the adversary would send an email out, maybe to a broad kind of random group of people. They might send emails out to specific folks. And they would include something like a link in there. Uh, the victim would click the link, take them maybe to a website where they would have a form and they would put some information in. They might steal login credentials, for example, or bank account information, for example, through that process. And then they might pivot right around, go log into the account and, and, and do whatever it is that they're trying to do. As a result of that, obviously, over the last several years, multi-factor authentication has become uh, very widely used and required by the majority of platforms. And so... This might mean that in order to log into an account, you would need to receive a code on your cell phone, or you might need to have an authenticator app on your phone. And so this has made it more difficult for the um, adversaries to take over these accounts, to gain access to these accounts. And so folks have begun to uh, develop tactics to work around that second factor of authentication. And so um, some of this can include uh, trying to capture logs from infected hosts where they have information such as browser, you know, sort of cookie or session state that they can then use once they've got the username and password to sort of reproduce that second factor of authentication. And there are um, some other um, tactics that are being used as well. And what about on the defensive side here? Are folks, do folks have more sophisticated ways of tracking and blocking these phishing attempts? I would say that that's true depending upon, you know, the platforms that are being discussed. So, for example, Online banking has come a long ways in terms of implementing protective mechanisms to help users avoid having their accounts you know, accessed without authorization. A lot of popular online platforms have come a long ways in terms of requiring their customers to use that second factor or by implementing creative types of second factor authentication. 
And so I, I do think that there are improvements in the defensive mechanisms that the average person has access to now. Uh, certainly, more on the commercial side or the enterprise side, there are a number of identity and access management providers that now provide more enterprise-grade single sign-on solutions that you can use to sort of control all of the access to your different systems within your business. And then you can take several steps to lock down access at that, at that um, point. So there, there are some nice advancements. I know one of the things that you and your colleagues have been tracking at Zero Fox is, is uh, domain takeovers. And, and uh, in some of your reporting, you've stated you've seen a big increase in that. Can you explain to us exactly what's going on there? Uh, sure. Well, there, there are a few different ways in which do- domains can be abused. And so, um, y- you know, y- you might have any given entity, a popular brand that's well-known, and typically they're going to have a robust online presence. And this might be on social media. It might be via regular websites. They might have mobile apps and things like this. So specifically when it comes to domains, there are a variety of ways in which adversaries will abuse essentially this web-based presence. You, you might have yourbrand.com as an example. Uh, then the attacker might register a domain. It's a slight variation on that domain. So it could be yourbrand2.com or it could be some other domain with a URL that contains the brand name or things like this. Ultimately, they're trying to craft the domain or a URL that looks kind of like the official uh, domain or, or, or URL. And then they'll send this out to folks. And for folks that aren't sort of suspicious by default, they'll think that this is close enough to click this link and they'll, they'll log into the website. So this is some of the standard things that you say. We do a lot of work detecting what we call impersonating domains. And so this has to do with uh, where folks are trying to create a domain that looks like another domain for malicious purposes. We'll detect the existence of these similar domains and then we'll help our customers to respond by you know, reaching out to the platform and maybe having that uh, domain taken down. From a domain uh, takeover standpoint, this is also something that's been going on for a long time. And so the domain registrars and hosting platforms have had to do a lot of work to improve security here. Uh, but there are ways in which, for example, a domain might become uh, briefly unregistered due to a lapse in registration. And so somebody might register the domain at that point. Otherwise, uh, somebody could gain access to the account at a registrar where a domain is registered, and then they might log into that account and uh, make some changes in order to take that domain over, for example. There are some other possibilities as well, but those are some of, some of the basics. And what are your recommendations here? I mean, what, what, what would you consider to be best practices for, for an organization to uh, try to defend themselves against phishing attacks? One of the fundamental challenges with cybersecurity as a whole is that it tends to be a complex um, and challenging problem to solve. So, you know, there's a big difference, I think, between being an individual sort of consumer, just a regular person defending their home network, uh, and being an enterprise, I think it's maybe a little bit more possible as an individual because you just have less footprint to deal with. And so, you know, for example, in my personal life, I, I, um, I'm very rigorous about um, having, you know, uh, devices that I believe are fundamentally fairly secure. So just to give an example, like Apple MacBook, the, the Apple operating system has a great track record of security. It's not perfect, but it's great. If you have that system and you have a habit of keeping it up to date regularly, so automatic updates, always keeping your operating system up to date, that laptop or that that phone, if you're doing the same thing with your with your phone, is going to tend tend to be pretty resistant to security issues. And then on your home network, hopefully you have some consumer firewall, and you, you know you're maybe paying attention to the configuration of some of your home devices. And at that point, you stand a decent chance of of keeping your home network secure. There's always more that you can do. From a uh, commercial or enterprise standpoint, really you have this situation complexity where you might have tens or hundreds or thousands of people that may be spread around the world. There's all kinds of technology being employed. And so you need to you know, have dozens of people and millions of dollars to kind of keep it all secure. So what usually happens is that people don't, don't make that full investment and, and, and they kind of assume that risk on purpose or accidentally. So for, for the enterprise, when you're trying to deal with phishing, you know, one of the weakest links is the uh, individual uh, team member, you know, the employee at the company. And, you know, the way that a lot of people try to help shore this up, at least, is through repetitive training. So there's a lot of phish training solutions out there that will send people phishing links. Uh, and if they click through them, then they'll tell them, like, hey, you fell for a test. You need to get trained. You need to get better about this. But then also you have the, the, the uh, technical control. So you're keeping your systems uh, patched, having your endpoint security on those devices. You will also have network security controls and all the traditional stuff. And then you would have an external cybersecurity solution, kind of like ours, that's keeping tabs on 
the creation of these domains, the circulation of these URLs, the creation of these fake accounts, and trying to uh, help you stay ahead of the curve by finding those and taking them down before they make it to your environment. So these are some of the things. Joe, what do you think? Well, phishing's still a thing, Dave. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> is. Uh, email is still a primary vector. I think this year's uh, data breach investigation report from Verizon said it's still the first kinetic action in close to 90% of attacks. Right. So you're still going to see phishing emails out there. They're still going to be bad, uh, and they're still going to be... Uh, effective. Th- effective, right. Yeah. And that's actually my next point, is that it's old but it's still being used because it works. Right. So that's why you're still seeing these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, open this attachment for me is a great way to get someone to run someone to run something on their computer that they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, multi-factor authentication has made it much more difficult for these guys to get into your account, and they're now looking for ways around that, whether it's through some kind of information stealer or maybe socially engineering your, your codes out of you. Um, they're just, uh, you know, they're still trying to get around it. Yeah. Um, if I can uh, get into your uh, into your computer and steal the token for your actual uh, for your actual session, uh, I can bypass any uh, any multi factor authentication. Hmm. the The difference there is that a tool like that takes a lot of effort to write and implement, and uh, so your 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 risk factor has decreased a lot just by using a multi-factor authentication tool. Right, sure. Um, Platforms are coming along with multi-factor authentication, uh, which is great like banks are. Um, I think I got an email today from PayPal that said, hey, why don't you step your MFA game up, Joe? Yeah. I'm like, okay, how how do I do that? I think I'm already (laughs) using a Ubiquiti, you guys. Um, Right, right. So... um, you're going to ask for a blood sample. Right, yeah, blood sample. Then then every time I want to transfer money to somebody, I have to give a, a I have to get my finger pricked. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh I don't think this is happening fast enough. I think it needs to happen a lot faster. Hmm. Uh you'll notice it on a lot of enterprise uh applications, they're starting to do this like for example, a couple of years ago Twitter uh before they became X, they just rolled out multi-factor authentication with YubiKeys to everybody. Yeah. They said to everybody, here's two YubiKeys, you're using these now. Uh, you have that luxury when you are an enterprise and you're saying this is a condition of your employment. Right. You don't necessarily have that luxury when you're a business and you're trying to say this is a condition of being our customer. Right. <laughs> Those are two completely different different discussions. Sure. Right. Um, Mike touches on something here and he kind of passes by it. Yeah. And I wanted to spend a little time about on it. Okay. But most people look at a domain and think, eh, close enough. We're talking about those domain spoofing or or uh well, typo, not typo squatting. What's a domain? What's it called when you're impersonating a domain impersonation? Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, most people look at a domain and think close enough or that seems legit. And I think we're missing a key assumption here in this industry that it's part of the problem. And I think this is an interesting research proposal. Okay. But how many people would think that Microsoft2.com was a legitimate Microsoft domain? Yeah. I'd like to know that. Uh, I don't think any research has been done in this area. Maybe I'm wrong. And if our listeners are listening and they've they've heard about this, please send me a, a paper on it. Yeah. Um, but I think we as an industry have just been thinking, of course, that's a bogus domain, right? You should know that's a bogus domain. But people don't know how DNS works. They, yeah. they, they just don't, they don't know because it just does work, right? Um, right. And you could totally understand why someone would think that was a domain. I mean, Mike... I, Microsoft2.com, well, Microsoft, they must have used up everything that goes to Microsoft.com. Right. So they need a second one. I had, there was an experience I have when, before I knew, before I was doing anything technical, I went to a website and I noticed that the website was www.whatever-the-domain-name-was.com. Okay. Right. And I was like, are they out of www addresses? <laughs> right. Do they right. already have to go to www2? But that's yeah. not even, DNS works the opposite way. Yeah. But in my head, I thought that the the www was a it's not it doesn't it's not how it works Joe. Yeah. But the thing is the point is I didn't know how it works. It was right. a point in my life where I had no idea how DNS works. Right. And I I I didn't understand what I was looking at. Yeah. So this is what the average person experiences when they're looking at a domain. If they see yeah. Microsoft support dot 
salesforce.com or, or whatever, not salesforce.com, some other place.com, yeah. right? That will look like a legit address. Right. And I think there's a, I think that there is a, um, a research proposal here for finding out what percentage of the population is duped by just, just domains that look like they should be, but aren't mm-hmm. correct. And then uh, there's another part of that that goes along with it about an education campaign, about how do we educate people who probably don't really care about the subject. That's really the challenge. <laughs> well, Joe, I think you need to find one of your PhD candidates there at Hopkins and uh, put them on the case. Yes. Yeah, we, we do a lot of technical stuff at Hopkins. I, but I think this is a good research question. Yeah. I might uh, float this to Tony and see what he says. All right. Um, to protect yourself, have a policy that takes into account what's on the internet. Uh, remember that Mike is from Zero Fox, so yeah. Zero Fox protects companies' images on online. Yeah. So, yeah, look out for imposters and things like that. Um, by and large, you are pretty much powerless with the open source intelligence gathering part of of any attack. Right. The information's out there, and you should at least be mindful of what's out there. Make that part of your planning. Assume that that's out there. Mike says also look into zero trust. That's a great idea. That zero trust mindset needs to begin with the idea that somebody already has all the information about your company. They know what your who your network administrators are because they've looked on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Those kind of things need to be part of your your calculus here. Yeah. Um, and handle the basics: uh, policy, training, awareness, and culture. You know, make sure that all those fundamentals, the, the boring stuff, the boring stuff is what is what really takes good care of you. Yeah. All right. Well, once again, our thanks to Michael Price, who is CTO at Zero Fox, for taking the time to speak with us. We do appreciate it. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. A quick reminder that N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our executive producer is Jennifer Iben. The show is edited by Trey Hester. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.